1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh. Uh. And what is up? Welcome in GC Live Friday episode final South Carolina versus Florida preview. We'll be joined here shortly by Nick De La Torre from the Florida on three site GatorsOnline.com. Going to be giving us the Florida perspective of this game as Chris and I give our final thoughts, final preview, and final predictions. Gamecock Skaters, three thirty kickoff at Willie B Saturday afternoon. As always, GC Live brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond, Movement Mortgage, ClintHammond.com, 803-771-6933. Clint, great mortgage dude, great Gamecock, great sponsor here on GC Live. If you're in the market to buy a home. Call Clint. He's going to shop you a great interest rate and uh, help walk you through this process as well. And, uh, you know, it, the, the interest rates are obviously historically not great right now, but still doesn't mean you might, you know, you might still be in a situation to buy a home. And Clint will help you go through kind of what your options are. He did the same for me and my wife, really, actually about exactly a year ago. So he can do that exact same thing for you. Go to Hammond.com. Chris, we are rolling along. Actually, as we do this, we're at about 24 hours from kickoff. So 24 hours from right this second. Um, fans will, will hopefully already be parked because fair traffic. And we'll be getting ready to roll in. Uh, Gamecock walk will have already taken place. And uh, I'll officially be on Vibe Watch at that point. What is the vibe Important. around Willie B? What is the vibe um, among the fan base and tailgating and all that stuff? Does it feel like a gloomy day? Is is everything all good in Game Nation? Big recruiting weekend for them as well. I mean, I you know I hate must-win, so we're not gonna say must-win. And a lot of times I will downplay the importance of one particular football game. It really didn't hit me, man, to be completely honest, until on 1075 today. You started talking about what was next on this schedule and road trips with Missouri, a a team that South Carolina has not played that well against in recent years. Pretty similar, I still think, talent-wise, but Missouri has outplayed South Carolina, so credit them. And then A&M, which is, I think, quietly one of the most talented teams in the entire conference. So for South Carolina, you've got a winnable game, a Florida team that does not play well on the road. We'll talk to Nick De La Torre here in a second about why that is, but uh, just an extremely important game for them.
2: Uh, an absolutely huge game. And, you know, you're, you're right, man. I mean, go back to what we said earlier. You're a two-and-three football team now, already not where you want to be. You've got an opportunity at home in a, in a winnable game, right, that you're slightly favored in. You don't win this when you're already two and four, and then you're staring down the barrel of having to turn right back around and go on the road where you have not played extremely well on the road against two teams that are playing you know, pretty well this season in Missouri and AM. You lose all three. Now you're two and six, right, and you get to go back home. You have a long home stretch in the month of November with four straight home games, but a couple of those are going to be in toss-up territory too, so – very quickly could get uh, kind of off-the-rail territory for the Gamecocks. This is a huge opportunity and a and a needed win, I think, for them.
1: All right, for sure, man. So all right, we're going to bring in our special guest from Gators Online, Nick De La Torre. going to go ahead and warn everybody. They are en route from Gainesville to Columbia. So a classic on-the-road, in-the-car <laughs> appearance from De La Torre here. Nick, how are we doing, man?
0: Good, good. I hope the uh, I, the AirPods uh, uh, are working all right.
1: Yeah, no, we, we got Beautiful. you. We can see you and hear you um, actually loud and clear, man. So I, I guess uh, broad, we'll start very broad. Um, this Florida team, this narrative that has been a lot about on the road versus at home. I want to get into that here in a second. But um, if a Gamecock fan has not watched one snap of Florida football, this year what is the first thing you would want them to know about what to expect from florida saturday at willie b well
0: shoot uh, I, it's two different teams almost a dr jekyll and mr high but florida's on the road uh which they are this week you can expect the referees uh to be throwing yellow flags uh for florida to have penalties uh of the procedural variety i think florida had Nine penalties, uh, six were offsides, false start kind of things. Uh, at Utah, they were penalized 10 times on the road at Kentucky. Uh, and Florida's one in seven under Billy Napier away from the swamp. So it, it's been two totally different teams. We haven't seen those struggles at all when they're at home. So uh, I would say if if, Florida, if you're a just tuning into Florida uh, this week, uh, I don't know if I can comfortably say that you can expect to see the team that you know beat Tennessee at home versus the team that uh, beat themselves uh, against Utah, and, and certainly helped Kentucky beat them. But Florida's going to be a team that wants to run the ball. They get Trevor Etienne back this week, uh, and Montrell Johnson. They have a really good one-two punch there, uh, and then Graham Mertz has done what he's been asked to do, which is throw the ball short, uh, and he's completing you know at an eighty percent clip. Uh, but I think more than 65%, 70% of those completions have been for less than, you know, nine air yards. So Florida's been very efficient at running the ball and throwing it short.
2: Nick, let's go to Mertz, a a natural segue there that you gave us. Um, We noticed looking back that in two, uh, in Florida's two losses this year, one of them was the Utah game. I think he completed, man, like 83% of his passes yeah. and had 300-something yards in that game. The Kentucky game, uh, he had, what, 240-ish, something like that, 70% completions. Mm-hmm. Only difference is he's nine touchdown, two picks this year. He did throw a pick in each of those games, so you could easily point to that. But were those two teams able to make Mertz more of a focal point in the offense, yeah. and is that a good strategy for the Gamecocks? Easier said than done, but if you can do it. Sure.
0: Yeah. uh, Last week was the first time in Graham Mertz's career that his team won a game in which he threw 30 passes. Uh, And that goes back to Wisconsin. So clearly the book has been uh, certainly this season for Florida. And and I worried for Florida, like, hey, we thought that was going to be the answer. How to beat Florida is to stop the running game and make Graham Mertz beat you with his arm. And all of a sudden, you know, you're one game into the year. And it's like, well, the blueprint has now been proven and showed. Um, But that's definitely the the way to beat Florida. If Florida can run the ball effectively, that's what they want to do. Um, Graham Mertz last week was, you know, asked to throw more. Um, And I wouldn't say that he won the game with his arm. um, But, you know, that's going to be the way to beat Florida. And, And I think if you're any defensive coordinator and Graham Mertz beats you with his arm, hey, we can live with that you know, we executed our game plan to stop Florida's running game uh, and Graham Murch just beat us and we can live with that. So um, yeah. And and the two picks he's thrown also, I mean, both have gone through guys hands Uh, Kentucky dropped a nose tackle into coverage uh, and Graham completes a short pass to a tight end. And all of a sudden the 370 pound nose tackle is hitting the tight end in the back and the ball pops up and, and into somebody's arms and, uh, Ricky Pearsall is pretty sure-handed, but he had a pass go through his arms against Utah. Uh, coming into the year, Graham Mertz had, I think, thrown 23 interceptions in his career at Wisconsin. And that was a big uh, a big red flag for Florida fans. And he's been really good at taking care of the ball this season.
1: Nick, uh, I was on y'all's podcast yesterday talking about this game. And I said, man, it felt like Florida had three guys have career days last year in, in the running game. And uh, they were like, well, two of those like legitimately at the time were career days. And, you know, Montreal Johnson Jr., I'm looking at it now, man, 24 carries, 161 yards. He had a touchdown on the ground. ETN, eight carries, 100 yards. People will remember the the long 80-plus yarder. That was a touchdown run. Anthony Richardson uh, actually carried the ball 15 times in this game, came up just short of a 100-yard day of his own had a rushing touchdown, had a 23-yard run. Um, I mean, that that game, just Florida seemed to have everything going right with those three guys. How important to kind of bring it forward to this year, how important is it to have ETN back and available for Florida this week instead of uh, – obviously, Anthony Richardson's moved on. You don't quite have that run game threat at the quarterback position to the extent you did with Richardson, but – with Montrell Johnson now having his sort of backfield mate back there again. And it seems like those two guys probably complement each other pretty well in terms of skill set.
0: Yeah, they do. I think what we're seeing now with Florida, though, is when you have a guy like Anthony Richardson, you you force defenses to play 11 on 11. And, and just having his running ability, even if he's not the one carrying and running the ball, um, you know, is able um, – open things up for the running game. So I, I think that's been a big miss, a miss for Florida this year, but getting Trevor ETM back is huge. Um, those guys have really share, share the carries 50-50. Um, and, and I don't really know that one is better than the other. Etienne's kind of had a better season, but Montrell last week finished his rushes. He's a big guy. I mean, he's 5'11", 215, 220 pounds. Uh, and he was hitting defensive players last week before he got hit. So, Everything with Florida starts on the ground. And I think it's it's huge for them to get Trevor Etienne back. He's been kind of dealing with that shoulder injury for multiple weeks now. Um, and, and if you're a running back, you're going to get hit on your shoulder. So uh, if he's able to start and finish the game, that's a huge win for Florida.
2: Nick, uh, defensive question for you, and, and you alluded to this earlier, you know, I, I look at this this team, and it it is the juxtaposition between home and away for Florida. It's been very similar at South Carolina, actually, in a lot of instances. And I look at what the Gators did against Tennessee, right? Who has three really good running backs, a, a good offensive line, a, a capable quarterback, an offensive style that's you know tough to defend, quite frankly, with their spacing and what they do. I look at how Florida played in that game and how well they played defensively and all the buzz they created about their defense. And then Kentucky was just the polar opposite, right? I mean, we could say, yeah, they were home versus they they were away. But, I mean, what else is it, you know, about this defense? Like what was so different in those two games aside from just literally the location of where they were playing?
0: I mean, really two totally different style of teams. If you look at Tennessee and you look at Kentucky um, – And and I picked Florida to beat Tennessee. I I just wasn't really a big believer in Joe Milton. Uh, And I think what Florida was able to do against Tennessee was kind of get pressure with four or or not having to commit five and six guys to get pressure on Joe Milton Um, against Kentucky. And Florida fans didn't like to hear this when I said it, like that's the style of team that Billy Napier wants to be. Um, And it's not just Kentucky. Like Georgia is clearly a very better version of Kentucky as well. But that's what Billy Napier wants to be, which is not exciting to Florida fans. They don't want to be uh, big and stout on the offensive line and kind of plod around and score 30 points a game, maybe. Um, But Florida tried to be Kentucky, and they were never going to, in year two of Billy Napier, be a better version of Kentucky, which has taken Mark Stoops more than a decade to build. So I think that's really what stands out to me, is that Florida played a more physical game against Tennessee. Who's not a very physical team up front. And when they tried to do that at Kentucky, they realized Kentucky has been doing this for a lot longer than us. They recruit to this identity, develop to the identity and play to the identity. And even if we want to be that, we're not that yet. I think that was a tough pill for Florida to swallow that week in Lexington.
1: Let's uh, let's talk a few keys to victory. Uh, You can take it whatever direction you want, Nick, um, What are the things just kind of from a Florida perspective that you'll be keeping an eye on in the stadium tomorrow afternoon where you're saying, Hey, they have to do these things uh, in order to win this game.
0: Yeah. Florida, I've said this each road game, Florida is not good enough to beat itself and its opponent. You know, maybe a team like Georgia is good enough to, you know, have more penalties, um, give up, you know, more turnovers and still win a football game. Florida's not there yet. Um They've had massive issues on the offensive line uh, with false starts when they've been on the road. Again, you're going to be without Kingsley and which you're almost getting more used to playing without your starting center since he's only played in two games. Uh, And Jake Slaughter, his his backup, has played well. Um, So Florida cannot have procedural penalties. They cannot have more penalties than South Carolina. Um, And something Florida has not done well, get turnovers. Um, You know, they get a couple last week, but, they're minus four on the year in the turnover battle. Florida has to do all of the little things. Their margin for error is so small um, that they have to do all the little things well in order to get wins, especially on the road. So if I'm Florida and my game plan to win, my keys to victory are to run the ball effectively. Um, I know that South Carolina's run defense has been better than its past defense, um, but I think your, your game plan for the Gators is to go in, run the ball effectively, don't, shoot yourself in the foot with penalties and try to win uh, the turnover battle. And defensively, I think they'll try to go with that same Tennessee game plan. If we can get four – if we can rush four and get pressure, uh, then that creates tighter windows for Spencer Rattler to try to complete passes into. Um, And if he's throwing under duress, um, which he's had to this year, maybe we can get some some interceptions. Florida has just one on the year, uh, and that was really – uh, kind of a you know a backyard game of 500 when Joe Milton just decided to throw the ball up down the down the the, the field 40 yards in the air and uh, there was nobody on his team around the ball so uh, a lucky penalty there and, and for South Carolina I think it all starts with stopping the run if you can stop the run and make Graham Mertz beat you with his arm it's something that I don't know that he can't do but he has not done and hasn't shown that he can yet.
2: Nick, I just uh, took your South Carolina keys to the game and I will just transcribe them into RP. She wrote it for me for later today. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, you also have curried favor with us here on GC Live by using low margin for error. That is probably yeah. my favorite phrase. Uh, I think both these teams actually are in a lot of those types of games this year, right? Where it's going to be pretty close. Uh, Wes, is it prediction time for Nick or do we have more for him?
1: Um, well, I had one more. I didn't have this question, but something he said now you have it. Go for it, then. Out of my yeah. brain, that's that's just uh, great
0: interviewing there, Wes. Listening to the person <laughs> you're interviewing, and coming up right. with something else. This is, yeah, take, take I, was listen, I was listening,
1: holding on to every word. I knew when you said margin for error that Chris was gonna just like jump off <laughs> of his couch and start cheering or something. Uh, it's his favorite phrase in the world, I think, but uh, Nick. You talked about Florida being able to rush and get pressure with four against some teams. Um, How how are they up front, like, you know, front four, then kind of to their linebackers, just talent-wise? Is is that a strength for them? Is that more of a middle-of-the-pack type SEC, front seven, front six? I know everybody sits in, like, nickel these days with the extra DB out there. But how does that front group maybe compare – um, in terms to maybe some some former Florida groups in, in that area?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a new group uh, because you get in Caleb Banks from Louisville. You get in Cam Jackson from Memphis. Um, South Carolina fans and Spencer Rattler are very familiar with number 21, Desmond Watson, who was playing about 35 snaps a game last year. Just looked it up today for something I was writing. He's only playing 12. And I think that's really the biggest thing for Florida is that there's not – really a first-team All-SEC guy or or a guy on the defensive front seven that will be um, – or actually, maybe Shamar James, the linebacker, he's playing really well. He might be an All-SEC type of guy. But in terms of the line, there's not really an All-SEC guy. They just have a lot of depth, and they're rotating eight, nine guys along the line throughout the game. And and I think that's been the difference. Last year, Gervon Dexter played, I think, 400 snaps at 330 pounds and It was just out of necessity, and they were just wear down during games. So I think Florida's front seven is much better. While there isn't a name that fans might know, that you know, non-gator fans might know. It's just the constant rotation and keeping guys fresh. Uh, and they've been significantly better this year. Um, just looking at their stats. Last year, Florida was 129th on third down, uh, in terms of being a defense, and this year they're ninth. And I think that's just the depth, not letting guys, not letting teams get six yards on a first down run because uh, your dog tired in the third quarter.
2: Nick, uh, I will. I don't know if you'll have the same compliment for me, and you probably couldn't as you gave Wes because this actually question has nothing to do with what you just said, but I, I have one about special teams. Um, oh, God. I figure, we, I figure we should get kind of a vibe check on special teams real quick. House Florida not only from – kind of the more noticeable like kicking and punting, but just kick coverage. Do they have a dangerous return or what, what does this matchup potentially look like tomorrow for a couple teams that again have, you know, the, the small things are going to count. So what's the special teams matchup look like?
0: Well, you're asking the vibe check is high. Uh, Florida had their first game of the season (laughs) last week without a penalty or some kind of head scratching occurrence on special teams. So uh, passed the test last week. Um, Florida, we don't know if they can cover punts and kicks because they don't really allow punts and kicks to be returned. Um, most of Trace Mack's kickoffs just sail into the end zone. Uh, Jeremy Krasha has been really good when he hasn't shanked it this year. So in terms of a cover unit, we we think they're okay, but they don't really ever have to cover anything. Um, and, and when it comes to returning punts and kicks, most, most of the kicks have not been returned. Trevor Etienne will be a guy that returns them as well, um, and then on punt returns, been Ricky Pearsall. He's had one really good punt return. I think it was brought back by a block in the back, and I think every time Florida's had a good, you know, return, uh, there's been some sort of special teams penalty, uh, which has been a theme for the year.
1: Not, not a pretty theme for for Florida fans. There, I'm I'm no. sure. Um, Hey, this, we've not talked about this this week at all. I feel like for some reason, Nick, um, what what can you tell us about Austin Armstrong, the new defensive coordinator? Um, I, I don't know for some reason this like storyline has not popped up. What what is different about his scheme, his approach? Um, what like what do you? I, I mean, it, I mean when you go from like last on third downs uh, <laughs> to top ten, I mean that's a, a huge jump there. What, what have you seen just as far as his style and scheme and what he's brought to that side of the ball? Yeah. Well,
0: I think the best thing that he did when he got in was not make wholesale changes. And mm-hmm. I think just a young guy who was 29 when he got to Florida uh, turned 30 right before the year. But I think the smartest thing he did was not to be like, well, we're going to change everything. You guys just need to figure it out. Uh, Cause the worst thing you can do is to have a defense who's thinking too much and playing slow. Um, the only thing that he really does differently, I think, or the biggest thing, is that Florida is is aggressive. Uh, and if he had, if he could play with thirteen guys on the field, he'd blitz eleven or bring eleven. They try to bring or um, show different fronts and and show a front that maybe you've seen on on film before, and then blitz from somewhere else, bring pressure from somewhere else. Now, the thing that Florida is susceptible to, because uh, they play a lot of single high safety uh, man coverage, is giving up big plays, and they've given up. Just last week, gave up an 85 yard touchdown and a 53 yard pass. So, as much as Florida brings pressure, they're not getting home. I, I looked, I think they have something like 60 plus pressures on the year, um, but only nine sacks. Uh, so, that's been an issue. And if you're not getting the quarterback down, even if you're hurrying him and you're bringing extra guys to do that, uh, then you're susceptible to, you know, getting beaten man coverage so that's been a thing and going back to his days at at uh, southern miss they gave up a lot of big plays too so that seems to be kind of a thing for his defenses are we're going to bring pressure we're going to trust our cornerbacks uh to play man coverage and, and sometimes you get beat when that happens so that's that's one thing for florida and that was a big key going into like the tennessee game uh and going into the kentucky game which as weird as it is to to talk about kentucky in this aspect you know like Kentucky's very explosive on offense, um, and, uh, and and it played a factor. So that's something that Austin Armstrong's done well is is bring a lot of pressure. But Florida needs to start getting home um, if they're going to continue bringing you know more than four. All
2: right, Wes, do we need to get Nick's prediction?
1: Yeah, Chris is dying for your prediction. I, I want I want to know it because you you brought so. I'm much five and stuff. one on the year. Not I've anymore, already know the prediction. I, I looked Not it up at on the okay. Florida yeah. site. Yeah,
0: I'm five and one uh, on the year. I'm now we made we we made predictions back in June, and I'm six and zero oh in my June predictions. I drank some Florida Kool Aid before going out to Utah, and I picked Florida to beat Utah. Uh, so I'm either five and one or six and zero. Oh. I've gone back and forth this week. Like Florida is just such a different team on the road. I'm at the point where it's like, listen, show me. I'll be wrong. You know, uh, before before you you're gonna have to prove to me that you can play on the road. But when I look at South Carolina, you know, like uh, statistically on paper, and I get like the, the losses have been to top twenty five teams, but I just look at South Carolina. I'm like, this is this is just not a good team or a team that hasn't played well. Not that Florida is a good team, um, but I picked Florida in a close game this week. Um, I think that they should be able to run the ball uh, effectively, and, and if you can run the ball, if you're Florida, and you can run the ball, and kind of Keep the Williams Bryce crowd out of it by running the ball, and and what they did so well against Tennessee was just convert on third down by staying ahead of the sticks um, and, and have these long drives. And Florida's offense is built to have seven, eight, nine, ten play drives where they kind of just wear a defense out, um, and, and that kind of takes the crowd out of it. So I think I picked Florida in a by a touchdown uh, or something like that today. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going with the Gators. I don't feel great about the pick.
1: <laughs> Nick, uh, hey, great stuff, man. We really appreciate you making the time. I know y'all are traveling right now, so y'all uh, y'all get here safe. Um, y'all enjoy some fair food before you go in the game tomorrow. And yeah. uh, like I told you yesterday, just get there early, man. It's going to be a madhouse, but it, it should be fun. should be a good day. I think it will be a pretty – you know, not a marquee football game, but a pretty even football game, man. So y'all have fun and appreciate you taking the time. All right.
0: Yeah, if, any, if the last two years are any indication, we're in for some sort of uh, something unexpected, some sort of blowout uh, <laughs> in a forty-point, a, a forty-point outburst from somebody's team, and we're all just sitting up there in the press box going, "Well, you know, just how we wrote it up all week."
1: Yeah, but, uh, it, the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: appreciate you guys having me, and we will definitely uh, get some fair food this week.
1: All right, dude. Appreciate you Nick. Thanks, Y'all Nick. Be going. Yep. That's uh yep. Nick. Yep. Right. Go check them out. Florida on 3 site. You can go to gatorsonline.com. See what they got going on, man. Uh do a fantastic job. I've been reading over there all week long, getting the Florida perspective, but some good stuff there, man. Chris, I feel like we haven't heard talk about Florida having a new defense coordinator. Like all week. No. No, may- maybe we should have brought it up. Like maybe that's yeah, it's, on us. Kinda-
2: Yeah, like a little, like, underrated, you know? Like, it seems like Mm -hmm. other weeks we'll talk more about, well, here's, you know, this team's offensive coordinator is guy A, and their defensive coordinator is guy B, and here's what he likes to do. And, yeah, we haven't talked about it quite as much. I'm not sure. You know
1: what one thing we have talked about this week is?
2: Trey Helps. I mean, we've talked about him a couple times. There's no doubt. That's our buddy Trey Harrell, and you can find out more about him. You see at Trey Helps there. That is his social media handle. Instagram, TikTok. He's even on TikTok, Wes. You can go check him out there. Or you can check him out on Twitter, at Trey Helps. Or you can go to his website. It's attorneyherald.com. Very helpful guy. Super nice guy. Had a chance to get to know Trey. He helps folks injured in auto accidents all over Gamecock country and all over the state of South Carolina. Now, obviously, we all hope. Wes hopes. I hope. Trey hopes that you do not ever get injured in an auto accident or anyone that you know. But if you are, make sure that you don't go at it alone. Find yourself an attorney who's going to fight for you, fight to get what you deserve, is going to fight for your rights. Find you an attorney who helps. And so remember that Trey helps. That is Trey Harrell. Trey helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok or attorneyharrell.com. We appreciate Trey Harrell partnering with us here on GC Live. All
1: right. Speaking of vibe check. What what's your what's your vibe check on Nick's interview in terms of what what did we learn that we did not know? Before? Well, that honestly that was my first thought. I thought it about
2: five minutes in and then in the middle and then at the end too, West. I, I wish I don't know if our conversation with Nick would ultimately change, you know, my prediction for the game, which is I think I would imagine Nick said his prediction's low confidence. I can tell you mine is going to be extremely low confidence. Wes, I'm guessing you're probably not super confident one way or another. It would it would be hard to be confident one way or another, whichever direction you think this is going to go based on what we've seen. But he did include some information that kind of conflicted me a little bit. Right? Really interesting sacks stats when it relates to sacks. So the number nine. Florida ninth and third down defense after being pretty bad last year. That seems to be, West kind of an antidote to South Carolina. They have been very, very poor offensively converting third downs, right? Dow Loggins talked about it this week. Way too many third and long situations, even in third and short situations, as we know from the last game, they've had some struggles. On the other hand, Florida just nine sacks this year, right? Nine sacks, that's what North Carolina got in game one against the Gamecocks. That's been an area of concern for them in terms of uh, allowing pressure from other teams. If Spencer Rattler has time, we know he can make things happen. So can this Gamecock offensive line that we expect to look different this week give Spencer Rattler time against a Florida defense that's not generated as much pressure or as many uh, big plays in terms of sacks and tackles for loss as they have hoped? And another thing, Wes, Big plays. Florida's been susceptible there uh, on the ground and through the air. South Carolina, while they have not been consistent offensively, they have generated some big plays, some explosive plays, uh, scoring plays, plays that get you down in range. And so I I thought it was great information from Nick, but a lot of it just kind of almost conflicted me more, right, as to what is going to potentially happen in this game.
1: Well, I think there's a lot – when you have a team like South Carolina offensively where so much of what they do is based on explosive plays, at least to this point in the season, I think variance is the word. Like there's just so many different outcomes of what could happen. You know, for, for Florida, it's going to be much more grounded. And th- this is like – I think some you know some people love, some people hate. The advanced metrics and stuff, but this is a success rate game. And success rate, unlike some of these metrics and like some of the analytics that are out there and the stuff, especially when you get into like MLB analytics and stuff, success rate is actually very simple. It is the statistical sort of representation of exactly what Nick talked about with this Florida offense. Can you kind of stay ahead of the chains? Can you keep yourself in makeable downs and distance? So success rate, the way I interpret it, is 50% of the yardage to go on first down, 70% on second down, and then 100% on third or fourth down. Um, I've seen some metrics, I guess, do it as 40% on first down. But regardless, success rate, is is Florida able to – sort of just stay where they want to be Their Their play sheets is very much structured. I imagine by, all right, we got, we got our four or five yards on first down. We are right on schedule for all of our second down calls. And then we put ourselves in third and short. We're right on schedule for all of our third and short calls. Now, everybody to an extent is like that. Like it's important for every team. But for a team like Florida, that feels like that's the way their offense is built. For South Carolina, they they would love to, I think, have more success, um, you know, on first downs and just staying on the field and staying ahead of the chain, so to speak. But for them, it's been much more hit or miss. It's been either big play or nothing, big play, nothing. It hasn't really followed that script. So I, I'm with you, man. I'm a little conflicted in that. This is a Florida team that's going to be aggressive. They're going to attack you. Um, They have not had a ton of sacks, but they have had plenty of pressure, which is something we've seen South Carolina surrender a lot of. On the other hand, if they're going to go out there and play man coverage and only have one safety back there, it maybe opens you up to have some big plays. And I, I think this is a game where, once again, you'd love if you're South Carolina to have a healthy juice wells to put opposite of Leggett and not allow them to shade that safety to one side or the other because you can play single high. I'm playing single high and saying I'm putting my safety towards Leggett. Like that just makes sense. But maybe some opportunities here for South Carolina to hit some plays down the field, but ultimately that comes back to the never-ending conversation, and that's about protection and offensive line play.
2: Yeah, and just a general point, man. I mean, as you say that, it just reminded me of how big of an impact that Juice Wells' absence is and a Marion Brown who, you know, has been out or limited at points this season, too, right? That, this is not a team to go back to the margin for error and you can say, well, they should have recruited more or whatever. You You have your starters, right, that you go in with, your best guys. And when you don't have a couple of them, that magnifies the issues up front, where you're already dealing with injuries and you're already dealing with some ineffectiveness. Um, I think Wes, you're going to look back at it and just say, "What if they would have had a fully healthy complement of receivers at the beginning of the season? Would it have looked any different?" You know, you can't do anything about it now, um, but it just it changes so much for South Carolina because the reality is, with Wells down. And with Brown limited at times this season, you just simply don't have as many options. Xavier Leggett's been, you know, superhuman at times, and so is Spencer Rattler, and and that's covered some of that up. But once teams have adjusted a little bit to Xavier Leggett, we saw that a lot in the Tennessee game, right? We, for instance, uh, there's a play down in the red zone, west. they double Xavier Leggett. You know, I mean, you just you're going to see more of that. So there are going to have to be other guys that step up and. That that's not even you know beginning the conversation about upfront, which will be a big topic of discussion. I'm I'm very curious to see what that looks like when they trot the starting five out there on Saturday. Uh, but it, it, I think it's that, and it's also hey, which other guys can step up and do something for you at the skill positions? That's just going to be critical as Wells remains out.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very interested, man. We've talked about this several times this week. What do the changes look like for South Carolina? Um across the board, offense, defense, special teams, personnel-wise in all three facets, what changes do we see South Carolina make? There are going to be changes they they've almost like they've promised that. Um some of those we maybe already know, some of those we don't. I can tell you, expect to see a different offensive line configuration from South Carolina this week. And I, I think they want to you know the, the the young guys are are kind of entrenched. Like they they, I think they want to let those guys go play and and come along. But also, you kind of got to figure out what your approach is going to be at the other tackle spot. You know, opposite tree. And uh, you know, I, I think ultimately you want to try to just, from what Beamer said, find five guys and stick with them and try to let some of that continuity build and. You know, so I'll be curious to see what the line is able to do with a little bit different configuration. But if they're able to just stick with it this week, next week and and moving forward now that you've had a week off to kind of evaluate those things and see what direction you want to see or see what direction that's going to go. Well, for me also, Chris, thought it was interesting. Some of the guys Beamer mentioned C.J. Adams, uh, and obviously we're not talking about offense line now. I'm talking young players who haven't played much in general. Kelton Henderson, Vacari Swain mentioned. Now, most, most of these were related to special teams. Um, Jaron Willis, linebacker transfer. That was very interesting to me. Beamer talking during his call-in show on Thursday. He said Jaron Willis was given South Carolina fits at linebacker on the scout team when he was playing the role of one of Mississippi State's linebackers. So I thought, uh, you know, that's got to be a good sign for the future, I think, for that kid. So I think some of these changes we're we're talking about very clearly will be more along the lines of you're going to have to pay attention on special teams to kickoff coverage and kickoff return and look at those numbers, and you may see some new guys out there.
2: Yeah, and that's been, again, kind of an underrated, like, hidden part. But it's important for this team. Um, This is a special teams that has not been as dynamic as last year, Wes. And I think for Pete Limbo, he feels like they've been solid but not spectacular. And so you would like to see some increased production there. And by that, Wes, I don't even mean breaking off a big return in the kick return game where they've had some gaffes or – uh, breaking off a, a huge punt return, you just mean even even in coverage, right? Even um, just just blocking something up to give your guys a little bit more of an opportunity. And so we've seen, um, you know, we know South Carolina lost some guys last season that were really really critical in that regard, and I think they've had some difficulty in replacing some of those guys. So the bye week gave them an opportunity, you know, to continue to assess that. Pete Limbo's talked not just last week, but all season really about continuing to try to bring guys along, uh, mainly a lot of younger players. And so we'll probably see some new faces there. We'll see some changes on the O-line. Again, the skill positions, those are spots that we all, I think, are, are looking to. They'll be more noticeable, but everything lines up with there being some some personnel changes on special teams as well.
1: Yeah, defense, we'll see what, you know, what route do they take in the defensive backfield. We saw them go with even worry at nickel. DQ Smith at safety, Jalen Kilgore at safety. That was a different configuration than we've seen in the past. Is that what they're sticking with? Does a guy, you know, who's maybe got a chance to, I think, play a little bit more that has been productive when they have been out there is Kawan Banks, man. Like, he's kind of that under the rate, like, underrated guy a little bit that isn't the biggest, isn't always talked about that much, but has been pretty successful when he has played dealt with some injuries a little bit as well. I always kind of think about when teams sort of go into their bunker for the bye week and pop out with new ideas and and new self scouts who just has quietly gone about their business and done well. I mean, you um, look at Nate Atkins down the stretch last year. We We really weren't talking about him at the halfway point of the season, but he was that guy when he was in there, he just kind of went about his business and, did what he was supposed to do by the end of the year. He was one of their better players all the way around. So I, I think there are maybe some guys like that on this team that you'll see play a little bit more. Like I said, I expect new configuration on the offensive line. We'll see if we get that Lenora sellers package. We'll see if uh can, can Nick Elksness get into the mix as a little bit more of a blocking base type tight end to give you a little bit more strength on the edge. maybe, do we see um, Tyshawn Russell play a little bit more at wide receiver? That's one I think. I think Chris's spider sense is maybe on that as a possibility, potentially.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, di- didn't we have that as a as a buy or sell on 107.5 West? Tyshawn Russell. We had two, no, we
1: had a freshman, a freshman, and freshman? I
2: picked Tyshawn Russell. Yes, yes. couple, I think I said uh, three catches for 46 yards, I believe. Prediction. I might end up being totally wrong. We'll see. But, yeah, I I think um, Tyshawn has looked like the guy, quite frankly, that's been, you know, most ready out of that freshman group. And um, just to kind of circle back to that conversation, Wes, I mean, um, South Carolina's played a lot of freshmen this year. Some probably more than you would have wanted to as a staff, right? right? I mean, as much as you love tree ball and, you know, tree ball, I mixed them up, Uh, tro ball and tree babalade – was it completely ideal to play them as freshmen? No, but but here you are, right? Jalen Kilgore came in, and and the reason he played so much in game one was because of an injury, and then he proved too good to keep off the field, and he's probably played the best game he's played against Tennessee West, so he continues to get better. So, they're not afraid to play freshmen, and they've gotten some freshmen ready to play, or they've kind of been thrown into fire into the fire. So, Russell's had some production in spots. And uh, he, he's definitely one that I've kind of circled for this weekend to see, hey, hey, do we see him more in terms of snaps? Do we see some more targets for him?
1: Yeah, and so I think it's always exciting to think about who might play that hasn't played a ton, who's going to get new opportunities. I still, you know, I'll go back to DJ Braswell. I think that's a guy that can, can help you. Now, we're not seeing what, to this point, what might a guy be missing? What might a guy not be doing on the field? What is he not showing? the staff that is keeping him from playing more. We don't know all that, but I, I do think just from a baseline talent standpoint, a speed element, some of the stuff Dow said on Wednesday, just kind of felt like we're going to see a continued youth movement in terms of getting guys in with more upside on this roster and, and kind of living with the, you know, living with the results. So I, I think that'll be something interesting. Watch, watch those numbers. As guys are running on and off the field Saturday, you might see some new guys out there, some different guys out there. Um, and then other spots, you know, I don't think anything's going to change. Like the the three to four main guys at the interior defensive line spots, Tonka, Boogie, TJ, Nick Barrett. Uh, I mean, those are the guys that are going to be playing. Um, uh, you know what I'll be curious to see, Chris? Does Elijah Davis, as this year progresses, get more and more PT now that he is truly an edge defensive end. They've kind of said, look, we're making this move official, not yeah. just him playing it a little bit. It's an official position move. And did you catch where, when Clayton White said, you know, Elijah had some of my favorite film of any guy I've evaluated? Yeah.
2: So remember, he's yeah. out there playing middle linebacker you know, at times. And uh, yeah. but but and you the size, high school. Yeah, I, I can't remember if that was Juco. I think that was in high school, maybe. Um, but, I mean, I remember seeing him in camp, man, and going, this dude could be a, a defensive tackle. He could be an offensive lineman if he kept being – if he, you know, got bigger and bigger. Um, just a lot of upside. Could really move. Aggressive kid. Had good tape and, and at Juco, too. And so, remember he played some edge in the spring in the spring game, and we're going, okay, could, could this stick? Um, remember hearing that. He liked playing edge more, and obviously that's an even bigger need for the Gamecocks when they're healthy at defensive tackle, of course. And so plugging him in there makes a lot of sense, and I, I think you're on to something there with Elijah
1: Davis. Yeah, man. He's another one. I I think when you put out your, your snap count Sunday or Monday, he'll be a guy that maybe we see gradually. This, look, this is going to be one of the most interesting snap counts of the year, Chris, I think.
2: Yeah, sorry, Wes, My computer froze up for a second. Uh, yeah, I I think it is going to be very interesting because there's going to be some differences, right? This might be a week, West, where we're going to have to break out special team snap counts too. We might have to kind mm-hmm. of dive into that and just, hey, here here's the differences from, you know, week one to to this week, whatever week we're on. Here's the differences from the Tennessee game to this game. Um, that one will be interesting. I, I think a lot of the spots defensively are going to be the same. It seems like the offense is probably more ripe for shifts and changes, whether it's the O-line, which we know, or the skill positions. And, frankly, Shane Beamer, Dow Loggins, they're, they're not giving away a ton there other than strongly, strongly suggesting that we will see some different things there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, recruiting-wise, everybody make sure to follow on GameCockCenter.com. We've got a full list up as of last night and Julius Solomon who we already said was going to be there then we had him on our list he is officially confirmed on twitter as well that he will be in columbia gamecocks uh trending i would say very very heavily there with Julius trending Solomon. big yes gamecocks definitely the behind the scenes favorite with Julius Solomon we'll see if they can close that recruitment out again um this weekend and you know, I think if he makes this decision anytime soon, you got to feel good about where South Carolina sits with him. So uh, a big visit for them there. Big visit with Cam Fountain coming in, the Southern Cow commitment. And uh, just an overall really big weekend on the recruiting front. But, uh, all right, man, let's close this thing out. Nick De La Torre picked Florida. Everybody, um, for the most part, for this game, everybody's sort of walking around the uh, party lines. The Florida guys are picking Florida. Gamecock Central boys are picking South Carolina. Um, What's your score?
2: Yeah, so I do have the Gamecocks with a, like I said, a low confidence. And and I want to show my work a little bit, Wes. If this game was in Florida, I would be picking the Gators. Again, two teams that simply just play better at home than on the road. I mean, that is kind of the bottom line. and. In thinking about that a little bit, Wes, I I was trying to think, okay, why is that? I think it's just because both of these teams are in the spot where they're not markedly better than other teams. They're not markedly worse than other teams, even if sometimes the scores may reflect that. And I think that's what makes such a big difference, home and away for them. So I've got the Gamecocks narrowly. I think the line's, what, two-ish. I've got South Carolina 28, Florida 24 in a close, tight fourth quarter game. Couple road games coming up, Wes. I've already previewed to you. I'm gonna warn everybody. I'm gonna be picking a couple Gamecock losses soon, I think. But I'm I'm riding with them this time at home against the Gators.
1: Yeah, same. Matter of fact, my very first sentence of my prediction on Gamecock Central was, if this was in Gainesville, I would be picking Florida. If it's in Columbia, which it is, I'll pick South Carolina. Um, Chris, sounds like we can just go ahead and. Be prepared next week for you to go against um, yes. the Garnet. And yep. man, I, I I respect your resolve there because I said all year long that I was going to pick Tennessee to beat South Carolina, <laughs> and then I literally just let the. How did Nick say it? He he drank some uh, Gator. What did he say? He didn't say Gator, right? Eh? Gator Kool Aid, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great spot to throw some Gatorade in there. But, you know, and I was just like, ah, you know, nobody. If it's close, I usually end up picking South Carolina. And I just went completely against my judgment and picked them to to beat Tennessee. I do actually feel a little bit better about that. Like, you know, you said you, you don't feel great about it. I feel a little bit better about, like, as I was making the pick against Tennessee, I just didn't feel good about it at all. Feel a little bit better this week, is what I'm trying to say. So, okay, okay, we'll see how it plays out. I actually, a little bit of a throwback number. I picked South Carolina 30, Florida 22. Oh, so, oh, I get it. I love so, it. 2005 action. Yeah, I like to pick either just completely off the wall scores or, or like meaningful scores. So, 30 to 22, South Carolina this week. Um, it'll be an interesting game. I hate when people on the radio and podcasts say it's going to be interesting uh, because you can say that about anything, but yes. it's like a it's a very bad filler word, but it will be. We're we're going to learn we're going to learn a good bit about both these teams as we do every single week and as we do every single day. I tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax. 803-462-5576. It is not quite Tax time, but guess what? You can go ahead and do what Chris did, and you can get a head start on your taxes for next year. If you have had a sort of a life change, like you know maybe you got married, it's going to affect your tax picture as well, and you're going to want to go ahead and get a head start on what that might look like. If you're a small business owner, if you are someone who um, is new at owning a business, then they're going to help you uh, sort of stay ahead in terms of your tax situation. So uh, keep your head into your business and let the tax team at Liberty Tax do what they do best. And that is handle your bookkeeping and your payroll. Larry and his tax team have serviced the Midlands for over 15 years now, locally owned and operated with a staff of tax professionals that are your neighbors here in the Columbia area. Trusted locally, respected nationally. That's our friends at Liberty Tax. 803-462-5576. I think that's all I got, Chris. Yeah, man.
2: Same for me. I think I think we've uh, once again we, – we try to kind of empty the chamber at the end of the week, by the end of the week, and I think we've done that.
1: I got nothing else to say. <laughs> everybody enjoy the fair. Everybody enjoy the game. Don't eat too much. Goodness. Hey, so if, if everybody heeds the warning and gets there early – then is all the extra traffic just there early? Could be. If everybody has the
2: same ideas, then yes. So get there late. (laughs) Y'all get there late. Everybody spread out. Talk to your
1: friends. Come up with different times. Get there at different times. All right. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Enjoy the game. And no matter what happens, we'll be back on Monday to talk about it. He's Chris. I'm Wes. This has been GC Live, as always, brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond, Movement Mortgage, ClintHammond.com.